Our uh, scripture day is from Matthew 6, 19 to 34, and um, that is part of the Sermon on the Mount, and I thought it actually is a sermon. So rather than simply reading the text, why don't we listen to it in sermon form? So not, not have it up on the board to look at, but just kind of, you know, be preached to by the Sermon on the Mount, if that makes sense. You got everyone? And uh, <laughs> that's funny. You should never like confess things that you're really tired in this particular moment and hoping everything sticks in your head. But and Bethany goes, you're always popping off anyway. So, but if I do, it might be worse today. Just want to, <laughs> just want to warn you for that. But uh, Matthew six in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is healthy, the whole body is full of light. But if the eye is unhealthy, the whole body is full of darkness. And if the light within you is full of darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not your life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And who of you, by worrying, has ever added a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about your clothes? Look at the flowers of the field. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is cast into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow can worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's an amazing passage, isn't it? And I thought it particularly appropriate as we think about our church today on our congregational meeting. I actually think there's some really key principles that illustrate what we are and want to be. So we're going to first talk about this great passage, and, which is really about 
trusting God, isn't it? And the, the logic behind it. And then we'll talk about why this, I think this does apply to our church specifically in this moment. So firstly about um, trust and logic behind it. It is, um, you know, the, this, the, the theme word you see again and again, right, is the word worry, right? And you might be saying, well, what exactly does it mean by worry? You know, what is that Greek word or, you know, what does worry really mean? This is actually one of those wonderful passages when this is the passage which helps you understand what that word means. Do you understand? So it's better to actually look at the context to figure out what that word means and go reverse it, if that makes sense. Just put it in the blank. Do not blank about your life saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Do not blank about tomorrow. You know, let tomorrow blank about itself. Each day has enough trouble. It's like you know what it means, just from the context there. Now, what's interesting about this passage, though, is it doesn't say just don't worry and just trust God, like you got to white-knuckle it. It actually lays out a series of logical arguments, which I think is really interesting. It's like all logic, the logic of why you should trust God and the logic of why you shouldn't worry. And uh, I actually, there's actually a number of arguments there. I want to look at five particular logical arguments, four kind of minor ones, and then what I think is really the major argument of, uh, of the section. You know, for instance, you know, we might be one of them saying, what's logic argument number one, for instance? Well, it says, you know, don't lay up for your treasure, don't lay up treasures here on earth, right? You know, uh, rather do it in heaven. Why? Because on earth, what happens to all the stuff you gather, right? It says it all breaks down. You know, people can come in and steal it. Everything you try to store here on earth, everything you try to collect, and why do you collect it? You try to collect because it's going to take care of your life, and yet you can't actually keep any of it. Have you noticed that when you die, you can't take it with you? This is not a deep theological, you know, this is, everyone realizes that. It all goes. And anything you try to keep can be taken from you or grabbed from you or broken down. Wouldn't it make more sense to work for a treasury that that can't happen to? Doesn't it make more logical sense to live your life for something which can't break down, where thieves can't come in and take it, that has eternal value? Doesn't that just make more sense? Live for that one. It is just a far better approach. Or logical argument number two, right? You cannot serve two masters. It doesn't work, right? You know, and you might say, well, I don't understand masters and servant language. You actually do. You ever been an employee? It's the same darn thing. You know, you, have you ever had two bosses? Yeah. It doesn't work very good, doesn't it? Doesn't like the cry of your heart going, who is in charge? Who's in charge of me? I can't do this. I need to, if I have two guys directing me, it makes me insane, right? We all know it can't, you can't, it actually does not work. We get this. And he's saying this is what happens spiritually to us. And he's writing to people who are saying that, you know, I, I want to, God is my Lord. He's the one I obey. And he's saying, yeah, really? But What's really happening when you're think, what you're thinking about, right? When you're thinking about how am I going to have my stuff? What am I going to need? Money is act. You're trying to actually have them both, have money and the Lord, be these two gods. He goes, it doesn't work. Which are you serving? When you try to serve both, it does not work. You hate the one and love the other. You, and that's what people are trying to do. And that's actually all, all most idolatry, is not picking an idol. It's trying to have it all trying to put them both. 
And, and money wants to behave like that. There's even a language in mammon, right? It's like an idle language. And you might think, well, in what way do I make God my money, you know, my God? Uh, what make money my God? Well, it's like, what do you trust in? What's going to get you by tomorrow? What are, you, what are you most worried about when you don't have, because what's going to happen to your life if you don't have it? What are you really trusting in? Your money. And it's behaving like God. And then it's not only what you trust in, right? What are you thinking about? What's the meditation? What makes your decisions for you? What do you decide? Like, what makes your vocational decisions? Everything's about, is it, if it's all about money, then you know it's now, it's now the meditation, the purpose, and everything of your life. And it's not saying that money is irrelevant, right? But it's a tool, not a master. Your money is to be mastered by you and ultimately God, not mastering you. And he says what happens is it slides up there, it masters it, and logically speaking, you won't have two masters. It doesn't work. You are going to answer to one of those. Don't do that. Logic, uh, logic uh, argument number three, right? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Think about it, right? Why do you want to live for that? Why do you want to live for all the stuff when that's not what your life is about? I mean, it's kind of like, it's, what is that stuff? What is food and clothing? You need it, right? But it's the stuff which, you know, sort of just like enables you to have your real life. It's like a gas to a car, right? Can you imagine if you lived for the gas? I just, I want to think about all my life, I want to think about making sure I have gas. It's like, what about the car? And, and, and why do you have a car anyway, right? There's a purpose, <laughs> there's a thing. This is just feeding it, that's all. How foolish it is to spend your whole life thinking and meditating on the gas. But we can do that, can't we? We can forget that life is so much more than our, our, you know, yeah, you need to eat and you need to have a place to stay and you need clothes and all that, but it's not your life. You know, when people take their own lives, they tend not to take them because they don't have food or clothing. They gen most of them are generally plenty of food and clothing. What they don't have or feel despaired of is life, hope, love, knowing, purpose, care. Those are the things that life is about. You know, why are you living your life and what are you living it for? You know, these are, this is what real, real life is. Live for that which is real life. Again, this is all just very simple logic arguments, right? What about the fourth argument, logical argument? Who of you, by worrying, has actually succeeded in adding a, a single hour to his life? Any hands? Has anyone, has it, does, has worrying really worked for anybody? It doesn't actually work. It doesn't change tomorrow. I, I always love, um, what is Corey Tembu? I've said this quote a million times because I say it to myself a million times. You know, uh, worry doesn't uh, take the sorrow from tomorrow, but it does take away the strength of today. You know, sorrow, does, you know, worrying doesn't remove the sorrow that's coming tomorrow, but it does actually take the strength from today. So worrying does have an impact on you, but it destroys your moment. You know, essentially, if you, if you think about all of your life like this, right, there's not this idea that you have no sorrows or any difficulties. You know, think of all your moments like this. And in, in each moment, like, what, what's the sorrow of this particular moment right now? This is actually a wonderful moment, isn't it? We're all sitting here, we're together, we're, <laughs> we're talking about things from the Bible, we're praying, we're singing, we're with one. This is great, this is a wonderful moment, right? 
but there's going to be sorrowful moments in the future. And you can actually take those sorrowful moments and bring them right into this moment if you want. Right? And you will suddenly make this moment so much heavier. You could take the sorrow from that day and move it and live with it every day if you want. And then you carry it all that time. Say, no, leave the sorrow for that day. You live in this moment. This moment's a great moment. You know, worrying doesn't work. Worrying doesn't take away that sorrow down there, but it does destroy today. And then the last, uh, I say the the last argument I'm going to talk about is really the central argument of the whole thing, you know, the logical argument. And it's really kind of an if-then argument, isn't it? You know, if, and the if's not there, but it's implied, if you believe you have a heavenly father, right? If you believe there's gods there who created all things, then you shouldn't be worrying about all that stuff. He says, you know, uh, you know look, look at creation itself, right? Doesn't God seem to care for that which he has made? The birds, they seem to have food, okay? He says, even something like a flower, gosh, which is here today and gone tomorrow, it's surely, it just its very essence of beauty looks like it has so much attention and care to it. I mean, you, you, look, at the, you, yeah, you look at the grasses, you look at the trees, spring, right? What's going to happen? We're going to see incredible beauty that's going to go poof and gone. I think it is one of the most just, you know, uh, like, <laughs> like to me, it's, it's such an incredible um, spiritual lesson seeing all those blossoms and all that beauty which just goes here and goes right away. Because if this is how God has made the earth and cares for it, how much more will he care for you? Do you not think that he knows what you need? You know, that, that you are not, you don't have what you need as much as the birds do or as much as the flowers do. And, and, and you realize what's happening. He goes, and when, and when you do that, when you stop, when you, when you worry about all that stuff and somehow don't think God's there, what does he say you're doing? You're, you're acting like the pagans. You're acting like people who don't even know God exists. When you behave with all that worrying about all that stuff, you essentially act just like folks who don't believe in God at all. Because what are you really doing? When, you, when you're worrying like that, he's saying what you're doing is you're impugning who God is. Right? You either think, you know, when you're worrying, you think that somehow maybe God doesn't know that you have these needs. Maybe you think that God is not a heavenly father who cares about you. Or maybe you think, hey, you know, he's not powerful to do anything about it. Do you realize that? If you think somehow, if I'm all worrying about that, it's one of those three things or a combination of them. Either you think God doesn't know about it, God doesn't care about it, or God's not able to do anything about it. But if God knows about it, if he cares about you, and you believe that he's all-powerful, which he's trying to say, he's he's talking to people, exhorting them, you believe these things, right? That God's (laughs) all-powerful, that he's a heavenly father who loves you, who knows you, who sees everything. Don't live your, and he's not even giving them a hard time for doing it. He knows it happens. We're in this fallen world. It's broken. We're exposed. The tendencies to do that, he says, don't do it. Have one master. All right, because when you worry, you go to two masters. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given you. Make him your Lord. Lay up your treasures in heaven. Follow him. Know that he's with you. And, and 
What's important here is he doesn't say it's suddenly going to be easy, right? Some people think, oh, I'm going to trust God, and so my life's going to be a cakewalk. Is there anything about this passage that implies it's a cakewalk? Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's the opposite promise. It's the promise that you're not going to have a day without trouble, if anything. You know, that this is, but, you know, following him is dealing with the trouble that's before you and not importing the trouble from tomorrow or the trouble that may come in the days to come or the trouble that's way down there. You deal with what's right here. God knows you need, he's there. And, and, and listen, I, and I know this is hard to do. You know, you say it like this thing as if it's so obvious. It's, it's great, whenever I'm gonna preach on something, I fail miserably, miserably at it during the week. It's like God's, you know, to create like humility. Like I've, I, I've imported so much potential problems into my momentary life. You know, I ran scenarios that could happen and imported all that, it's not even real sorrow, right? It's a potential sorrow. (laughs) And by the way, all 10 of those scenarios can't even all happen, right? Only one of them may happen. So it's really stupid to to add up all the different scenarios and the potential sorrow of all the different scenarios and then bring them into this moment and make this one sorrowful. It is utterly illogical. But yet we do it, don't we? Just don't do that. Each day has enough trouble. Don't take the sorrow of tomorrow or the trouble of it into today. And today, what do you do? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Lay up your treasures in heaven. Have your life focused on that. The other stuff, God knows that you need it. Just trust him and walk with it. I said nothing new, right? This is something we, this is like the most basics of our life of faith of following our heavenly father, isn't it? But man, we need to hear it again and again, don't we? And, uh, and as I thought about today, as we talk about where our church is, you know, one of the ideas of a congregational porch is, I mean, how are we doing as a church? But I, as I thought about our church, I thought, man, you know something? We've really done, <laughs> this, this, this describes a lot more the kind of church we've become that we weren't always. And I'm going to tell some older stories that we've said, oh my gosh, you're going to tell these old stories again. You know something? The Bible calls us to tell old stories again. It's actually something we're supposed to do. When God has done great things, you're supposed to retell those stories and remember these things. Because not only does it honor God, but it changes your present. Don't forget. You want to talk about one of the key exhortations of the scripture? Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Because you'll begin to behave right now, you know, as if, as if God never did that stuff. So just to remind you guys of like five or six years ago, you know, some of you guys weren't here. I could tell you for the folks who weren't here, uh, worrying, yeah. Boy, did our church worry. We worried a lot. We were in this building that was totally falling apart. We, it needed two to three million dollars. We had a budget of about 600 going, what are we gonna we, 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 Every single year, we never even made, we couldn't even do enough maintenance to keep it up from falling apart in that moment and still going into the red and into savings every single year, hoping there'd be some sort of special things that would go on. $300,000 just was needed for the, uh, make the stained glass not fall out anytime soon. You know, and it was like, and we're just going, how are we gonna do this? What are we gonna do? This is your focus of your mind. You're thinking we have a denomination. Talk about thieves breaking and steal. I don't wanna say that, but just, I'm just quoting the scripture, popped into my mind. You know, it just, 
Sorry, I'm tired. I'm tired. So, but in any case, you, 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 you know, there, that was that. War, what's going to happen with that? How's that all going to work out? And seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I suppose we believe that theoretically, but it was a classic two masters. When you say we were trying to do, yeah, yeah, we care about seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of that, but we're really worried about all this stuff. You cannot do both. You will love the one or hate the other. And you know something? Uh, don't know how you want to say it, but we were delivered of those burdens. Not the way, you know, no one would have said, here's how I want to be delivered. But yet we were. It was, the burden was lifted from it. And suddenly we're sitting in this place. And, and just to remind ourselves, like, how do we even find out about this place? I don't know if you guys even remember, we're like, we don't even, what do we know about finding another place to sit and set up church? We know nothing about it. And I remember just, you know, actually it was me, I mean, praying one morning going, what do we even do about this? I don't even know places. We go to a hotel or what do we, you know, what can you even potentially do? And I remember I, right very starkly in prayer, I remembered a church planter who I'd had coffee with five years before. And he just came into my mind. I thought he'd evaluated lots of places and been in Heather Church in different places. I sent him an email right after I got out of prayer. Within 15 minutes, he emailed me back this incredibly detailed analysis of all these different places their church had been in and what was good and what wasn't. Basically, and one of them was, don't go in the hotel you're thinking about going into. It's terrible for these reasons. The best place anywhere in Newton we were was right here. And we call over here, and guess what? Totally available, easy to go into. Nice coincidence. You know? Um, and you remember also, I remember that the day we knew, we found out we are being removed on that Tuesday, I actually had a meeting, a phone meeting with the head of High Rock. We were talking about something else, and I called him. I said, hey, man, we're out in two days. That's how much notice we got, if you remember, 48 hours. And, uh, and if you remember, too, it was the, uh, <laughs> our last day was the first day of Lent. It was Ash Wednesday. We were posted in the wilderness with Jesus. I'm like, you know, <laughs> I was just like, who planned this? You know, right, who planned this? I mean, they, you think that's a coincidence. You think the judges up there going, I think they should be, first day of Lent would be perfect for them to be removed. <laughs> and it was a great year. None of us had to, like, give up anything for Lent. We had it totally covered. You know, we didn't exhort anyone to give up anything. We're like, we're good. We're good. That one's congregationally covered. Um, give up all your money, your bank accounts, and your buildings. Give it all up for Lent. So we did. It was great. Um, so that's really what we did. But I'm talking to them that day going, what do you need? And I'm thinking, well, what do we need? Well, <laughs> everything. We have absolutely nothing. We can't take anything with us. We don't have money. We have debt from law, legal stuff. And we, you know, I, we have nothing. And he goes, he kind of laughs. He goes, yeah, that'd be great if I could, you know, I'll call around. He calls back in two hours and says, you're not going to believe this. Just last week, one of our churches moved locations to a place that had a complete setup. So we have an entire setup, including a trailer. And you can use it all. We were praying. Our staff meeting was comical at 10 o'clock. Going, what do we need? Everything. We've never done any of this. How do you do this? Uh, we prayed that God would help. And hours later, <laughs> yeah, we got everything. Just get, we need to pick up the trailer. Projector, music equipment, everything right there. Other churches rallied around us suddenly. Now, most churches take about six months getting ready for the first service, so we we're going to try it four days later. And now God knows we're stupid. And so what happened? Massive snowstorm. If you guys remember, it was hilarious. We were going to do it, and it was a massive snowstorm. It's just like, thank you, Lord, because we were not reasonable. We're dumb. 
God goes, no. So then 11 days later, we come in here, and I think everyone was like, is it going to be just this, like, is it going to be fearful? Is it going to be worried? Is it going to be a depressing environment? And if you guys remember, we came in there, and everybody rallied. Everyone came in down to the youth, and everyone was here and setting up, and it was a blast. It was like one of the best, you know, fellowship times we'd had in who knows how long. And, and you could feel the vibrancy and the excitement as we sat here and praised God. Because what did we do? What was the first thing? We're kicked out of a building. We have no stuff. What do we do? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What do we do? We gather to praise him. We actually don't need anything else. You don't need anything to do what's being asked of you, right? And it, just, it changed how we began to operate. We said, so what do we want to be as a church? You know, so we went there, we talk about mission and vision kind of stuff. It all seems like words, but it's real stuff. What do you want to do? You know, when we thought about what we want to be as a church, guess what didn't come at the top of the thing? We want to get a building. No, top of the thing was we want to engage with God in his word. We want to foster a caring community of disciples of Jesus. We want to bring God's healing to our hurting world. We want to invite our neighbors to follow Jesus with us. That's what we want to be. And that became, that's seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's what we're going to be about. And these are all like old stories. Of, but this has been the story, you know, a lot of folks who aren't in leadership, this is how God's provided for us again and again and again. I mean, yeah, I could keep on telling you, actually we had rocks in our office. And I'm actually worried the rocks got moved because you're supposed to keep those rocks of remembrance, those Ebenezer's that remind you of the things that happened. Like I'll, I'll even, another one was on my personal Ebenezer. I think maybe only me and Harold really know this one. And I'll embarrass, I don't know if Jen, Jen, you're here somewhere, right, Heinz? But I'm, I'm just going to embarrass you. I'm sorry about that. But it's not really about you. Um, <laughs> but if there's one job that a church has to have, you have, to, I mean, just legally, and I, you have to have a treasurer. You just, you have to have one. I mean, it's just, that is the response, you know, that is like accountability response. I mean, that, that is like you have to, that, 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 that piece is there. And, uh, you know, when Catherine's going to step down, we're like, I don't know what we're going to do. We met as a nominating team, and we person after person after person, we, we're like, we have no one to be treasurer. What are we going to do? I mean, it was got to the point where we actually were like begging, can you just stay on just a little bit longer because we cannot find anybody to do this thing. And I don't remember how we thought, I, I not even you, Jess, I don't even remember, just had a thought going, have you thought about maybe Jen Hines? And I thought, oh, I don't know, she's, she's got no bandwidth, you know, I know that. <laughs> small kids, radical, busy job. And I don't think she can do it, but what, you know, why not? And I thought about, as I thought about why not, I actually, I think it was the next, I mean, as I remember, it was almost simultaneously, I went up on email anyway, and had an email from her saying, hey, I need to drop something over at your house tomorrow. I'm like, well, that's weird, convenient, <laughs> you know. I don't remember the last time you dropped something off at our house. But it was right after we had that conversation. She comes over, and I'm and I, I'm awkward with this kind of stuff on how to like ask someone about it. So I started like this long, elongated thing about finances and all this stuff. And she stops. She goes, "I totally want to do that." I'm like, "What? What? You do? Oh gosh, yes. That, that, I like caring for people. That's not my thing, you know. <laughs> you know, doing money stuff. You know, this is like I watch the people talk about money, and I think, oh, I want to do that. You know, not money, but you know, there was a board. And I thought, really? Honestly, I sat there with my, I remember Harold, I called Harold, and you're going, you are not going to believe this. He's head of nominating and all that, and I thought, this is just like, this is crazy. You know, and, uh, and it was such a critical time, too. And it was just, to me, it was just like, again, this, this is the kind of stuff that happens, you know? Now, does that mean that everything's easy? No. But you deal with the trouble in the moments, and God knows what you need, and he'll provide for you. 
I actually think as a congregation, talk about our story now, you know, we actually, I think in a crazy way, actually thrive in adversity. We do better when things are, like, you know, when the whole COVID thing happened, there's a reason why we didn't go, so many churches just utterly fell apart. You know, we were, our church was like, oh, cool, what are we doing now? It wasn't that many, it was like remotely, I mean, it was like, it really was that people just kind of like, okay, what do we have now? I mean, I think about it, I thought we accept, I, I made some notes to myself, I go, I, th- I find that we tend to rise to the occasion. I actually made a note about Dan Romaine, who was our chair for all those years. I won't embarrass you, Dan, but, you know, uh, maybe I will. But, you know, Dan only likes crises. When things are easy, he gets deadly bored. You know, it's like, you know, it's just a funny thing. But I thought about, well, as you rise to the occasion, we accept changes. We tend to cheer innovation and effort. We stay of good cheer. We stay encouraging. We stay focused on task, the mission. That's just kind of how we just generally approach these things. You know, um, do we have troubles? Yeah. But, you know, it, as part of our DNA right now, is I think we always think, hey, how can we do the, the important stuff? How can we do the key stuff that God's calling us to? Do we want the other stuff? Yeah, sure, it, it sits back there. But seek first his kingdom as righteous. And one of the blessings of doing it collectively is it helps be a lesson for us personally, isn't it? We see it done in the collective because each one of us have got to live out this thing in our day-to-day lives. It's nice it happens over here in the church community, but we see it over there, we see, wow, we can do that. So man, I can do it with my life. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let me seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added up to me. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you and thank you. Oh, Lord. We believe with all of our heart we can't have two masters, that we are to lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. We know that worrying doesn't work. Lord, we know our life is far more than food and clothes. And Lord, we know, we know that you love us, that you know us, and that you are powerful and can provide for us. So Lord, we hand our worries into your hands. We confess too often, we bring another master into our hearts and minds. Lord, take that away. Help us just to walk with you, to let uh, tomorrow deal with its worries, and to rejoice in thankfulness for the way you provide for us. In Jesus' name we pray.